grab a seat, everybody, and good morning again. Um, we are going to take our offering at the moment, and so if you are uh, new to this place, um, this is just a chance for us to kind of um, all jump in together and, and honor God with our finances, so you can let that go by if you'd like. Um, we're in the middle of a conversation that Paul is having with a group of of believers in a town called Corinth, and he's really talking about um, really a lot of things, but the implications, okay, the implications of what it looks like to follow Jesus in a culture like Corinth, which, as we've talked about, is very similar to ours. And one of the things that he's beginning to walk them through is this idea of thinking deeply Okay, really deeply about our lives, about our postures, about our, our opinions and our freedoms and our entitlements and all these things that come with being a human being. He's actually getting into a discussion, and it began a little bit last week, and he uses the word rights. Now, we have a lot of rights, um, and I think that one of the things that we're going to be diving into is, is this idea that sometimes our rights, um, whether they be as Americans or as citizens or as Coloradans or whatever, um, actually have this way of like building up in this, this idea of arrogance, this idea of ownership and entitlement. And Paul's going to begin to take those things and then put them under the microscope and, and the spotlight of the gospel. And it's going to unsettle us, it's going to rattle us a bit, and I want that to be the case. Because in order to think deeply about who you follow, where your allegiances are, it's going to shake up some other allegiances, right? And so we're going to jump into this, and the first part of this passage in, in, in um, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's actually doing this weird deal, he's talking about getting paid, <laughs> He's talking about this like weird kind of thing. And we think what's happening is um, he's answering a judgmental person or somebody or a group of people back at the church who are kind of complaining about Paul, who are saying, well, we didn't even pay that guy. He's no big deal. Um, we pay other teachers and we pay these uh, sophists that come to town. You remember the sophists? They were like these traveling, really, really well-spoken preachers. He's like, we pay those guys, and then we pay these other teachers that are probably bigger in Corinth, but Paul never got a dime. And so there's this idea of value, okay, and, and this guy was for free, so he, he wasn't a big deal. And, and Paul's just kind of answering some of those critics, and in doing so, he's actually pointing towards a really important following Jesus idea that we're going to get into. And so here's how this is going to go this morning. I'm going to talk for a little bit. It's going to unpack all the boring, nerdy stuff. And then Ben Ewing's coming up to, to share the really fun stuff. So, um, so I'm really excited about that. So sleep for me, wake up for Ben. Here we go. Uh, verse one, chapter nine, it goes like this. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Now, an apostle, if you're not familiar with that word, it's those who had actually seen Jesus, okay? 
They'd seen Jesus after his death and resurrection. These are mainly the, the disciples, a bunch of other people too, but they were also people charged to go um, bear witness to the resurrection. Okay? So Paul, there's a lot of debate um, because Paul didn't, he wasn't like with, with, you know, Matthew and Mark and those guys in the upper room when Jesus appeared. He actually met Jesus. Remember his story way back in the beginning, we talked about this. He met Jesus. He had a, he had a vision right there face to face with Jesus on his way to Damascus. And, and this is where he's getting um, some of his apostleship. And, and he's basically saying, like, even though the rest of the world doesn't see him as, apostle, as an apostle, you guys know that I'm an apostle. He says, have I not seen the Lord Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He's like, you are the proof. You are the evidence. Your, your, your life, your, your following of Jesus is actually the evidence of my apostleship. And then he goes in verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we, meaning the apostles, have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us and do the other, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? So he's talking about Peter. Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? So this idea, like, these other guys are, 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 are catching kind of, like, some support from the churches. Um, and don't we have the right to that? And don't we have the right to take a believing wife? Like, Peter, we believe Peter was married and, and traveled with his wife as well. And then he gives three examples. Um, he says, who serves as a soldier in his, at his own expense? Um, who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? And who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? He's basically saying, nobody. Nobody does those things and doesn't receive some sort of compensation or some sort of, you know, uh, remuneration, remuneration, that's a word, that's, don't use that word in a sermon, but like this remuneration, this being taught, you know, this being like, uh, uh, I guess, I guess, uh, supported in what you're doing. And then he says, then he appeals to the Jewish scriptures. He says this, do I say this merely on a human authority? Doesn't the law... Say, that, say the same thing, for it is written in the law of Moses, he quotes Deuteronomy, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain. Is it, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing a harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? He says this in verse 12, if others have this right of support, meaning Peter and, and the other apostles, shouldn't we have it all the more? Meaning, because we're with you. I mean, you're proof that we're doing this and we're doing it well. But then he says this, but we, I mean, he means Paul and Barnabas, did not use this right. He's like, we have this right. It's happening everywhere, but we chose not to use it with you. Paul and, uh, me, Paul, and Barnabas, we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder 
the gospel of Christ. Verse 13, he says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? So now he's using kind of like this, um, he's using kind of a, a Corinthian metaphor here. Like they all understand how it works at the temple. We just last week talked about food sacrificed to idols. So he's saying, don't the people who serve at the temple actually get to eat at the temple? Right? And he says, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Now, for us in our day and age, we can see how this could be manipulated. Correct? I mean, TV preachers, anybody? Right? There's that guy that just asked his congregation for a $58 million jet. Like, whatever. Like, at the risk of sounding, like, I don't like this guy. Like, if him and I were in an alley, (laughs) I'm just, I'm not going to go there. Like, if we met in an alley, and it was just him and me, and I'd be like, hey, get a jet for you. Um, in the passage, though, seriously, like we see that and we're like, oh, this is kind of weird. And, and the reality is people have taken this and run with it. Like if you were to just parachute into scripture and grab like one or two verses, you could really do some damage with that. But Paul this is beautiful. Seven times he uses the word right. My right, our rights. This is, you know, part of how it goes. In verse 15, this is where it gets down to it. But I have not used any of these rights. I haven't used them. And I'm not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. Since I am compelled to preach, meaning because of his love, because of this affection and, and this, this, this return obedience through love of Jesus, he is compelled. Like, he cannot do anything but preach the gospel. Like, he, you can't shut him up. Like, it is just, just, just coming out of him. He's com- I'm compelled to do it. Woe to me, he says, if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward, he says? Just this. Then in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. And this is the real critical haymaker verse right here. Though I am free, and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That is a powerful verse. That is a game-changer, priority-changing verse. Paul says, listen, I'm free. I have these rights. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm this, I'm that. I've got all these things. I'm free. Jesus has made me free. I'm free. But I have made myself a slave. To who? Everybody. Everybody. And why? Because he wants to win as many. He wants to drag as many people from one allegiance to another. 
because that allegiance change for him was so powerful, so life-changing, that he's willing to go forego anything on this planet, anything in his lifetime, in order to make that, that, that happen for somebody else. Paul then lays out three categories of people he has become a slave to. And this covers everybody. But he just breaks it down. First one, he says this, I do this, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its, wait, I'm, I'm ahead. Sorry, here we go. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Meaning, he gets the Jewish mindset. He gets how that all works. So Paul, when you read his letters or when you read Acts, it's, he starts off at a synagogue. He starts talking to the Jewish people. He can relate to them. He does the liturgy and the ritual. He does all that stuff with the Jewish people. Why? To win as many as possible. Then we see Paul preaching in, in different other contexts. And in, in, in the second group of people, and in fact, back to this, when he preached to the Jewish people, that's when he got beat the most. That's when he got run out of town. That's when he got, so, I mean, he's doing all of this. Um, he's got some serious passion behind it. The second group of people is to the Gentiles. He says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not, f not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law so as to win, it, win those not having the law. So this idea, he's, he didn't become lawless. He didn't become like, man, I'm going to do whatever I want. All my, I'm going to do all the things that my, my buddies do to win them. Like that, this verse has been taken out of context <laughs> a lot. He's saying, I'm still under God's law. I, like, I'm still, I'm like in Christ's law. This idea of, of Christ's ownership over me doesn't, doesn't take away that, but I'm going to hang out with my neighbor. I'm going to hang out with my buddy who's far from God. I'm going to hang out with, with this group of people that, that would never darken the door of a church or never, you know, Paul's saying, I'm going to do that. Why? Because I want to win as many as possible. It doesn't mean I'm going to do what they're doing. It means I'm going to have a relationship with them. And then the, the third one is this. It's to the new follower of Jesus. The one who's really struggling. It's like this, who's weak, who's, who's, who's just beginning it out. Verse 22, it says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. This goes back to our last conversation about food sacrificed to idols. Remember, Paul had a conversation about the weak in that passage. This idea that those who could easily be swayed back to idolatry because you are participating or you are sitting in a temple eating a feast to Poseidon or to Asclepius or whatever. Paul's saying, if you have a weak brother or sister that sees you doing that, even though that meat doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything, there's nothing spiritually attached to that meat, you eating that meat might jack them up. And he said, basically, I will go the rest of my life without eating meat if, if it supports my weak brother or sister in Jesus. He says this, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. That's what he says. Paul's rights and freedoms 
are very real. But to him, they're nothing compared to what really matters. And what matters is whether people are being rescued or being drugged from one allegiance, one corrupting wickedness, you know, kind of a life inside and out into something else. And that's all that matters to Paul. Paul's not saying, I'm not some sort of an actor. I'm not like trying to trick people. I'm just, this is who God has called me to be. I'm going to be all things to all people so that I could just rescue a few. For Paul, the message remained constant, okay? He was always swallowing his pride. He was always giving up his rights. He is changing his freedom into slavery in order to win the prize. Those are his words, win the prize. We're going to talk about, a lot about winning the prize next week. It's just really powerful uh, next week. So, so Paul invests everything. Paul pushes his whole life into the announcement of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and the last verse, he says this, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And so I want to invite Ben up talk about the implications of this and and how he's wrestled with this over the last while life <laughs> over the last life yes um thanks for having me if you're uh if you're looking for non-nerdiness this isn't the place to go so <laughs> i'm not sure we're just different kinds of nerds so fyi um thank you for having me i'm very much looking forward to taking you through a little bit of my journey with this passage um it is uh, it's something I ran into last fall when we were covering the Immerse uh, series as a church. So that was an eight-week program where we're supposed to read through the entire New Testament. Uh, this passage was on day 12, and that's, that's about as far as I made it, so that was a fail. <laughs> but I couldn't get past it. I was stuck here. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back and go to verse 19. It says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And this, this, I, this, this was a dead stop for me. Uh, couldn't get past it. But it, it, Paul starts with talking about how he's free. And freedom has been an important word, an important experience in my story here. Um, <clears throat> and so if I was to summarize my walk, my Christian faith over the last 10, 12 years or so, uh, I would describe it as one as it, it's the Lord bringing me into more and more continuous awareness of my sin and with that uh comes burden and uns it's just unseen burden in my life that i'm living into i'm living a, a you uh, you guys have all experienced some of this at some point but uh what i want to do is share my a little bit of my story and that first layer of burden that the lord made me aware of um so very quickly i, I grew up in a household where regardless of my performance or my behavior there's always something i could do better uh and, and so this message is something I lived into. This is a message that I received is that I am, I am insufficient uh, and that I don't measure up. And that, that has been, uh, that has really shaped my life. And so let me give you an example. I was uh, a goalkeeper for the U.S. national team in the sport of team handball. Uh, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to travel uh, to Europe and Latin America and get to play international games against other countries. Uh, it was... It was great. So if you're thinking about what, uh, what is handball, let me tell you what handball is not. Uh, handball is not what I like to call poor man's racquetball. So let's say, you know, racquetball is great. You got a racket, got four balls, you can hit the ball, right? If you can't afford a racket, 
yeah, not, not that handball. So get on YouTube, search handball, you're gonna find the right handball, uh, and you'll get to see some of that, or ask Elliot. Um, but so uh, my handball career was actually a source of great pride for me. And in this time of my life, it was, it was actually a time of life I would describe as radical obedience. This was very much wrapped up in my faith. And at one point, a good friend of mine, his dad actually got to come see us play. And uh, after that, he actually he ran into my dad. And he said, uh, was describing his experience watching me play goalie. And he was going on and on about how amazing it is. And I'm like, I mean, thanks, but, you know, too much. Um, and so my dad's, my dad's response was, you're so right. Uh, but now all we have to do is get him focused on something more meaningful. Right? So, so just to give you a taste of what, what kind of what shaped me growing up. Um, so from there, here's how things played out. As I began following Christ early in college, uh, at the, uh, I got my first Christian girlfriend. That was very exciting. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, <laughs> so um, with this girlfriend, we were both in the same group of friends. We were both in the same college ministry. We had a lot of uh, connections. And then I broke up with her. Uh, but I wanted to make sure in that process that everyone in our group knew exactly why I was doing that. Uh, I was... Uh, looking to make sure they knew why. I just wanted them to understand. And so I, I was sharing this feeling with a good friend and mentor of mine at the time, and he responded, Ben, don't you think it's kind of arrogant of you? Um, that question stopped me in my tracks. It gave me cotton mouth. Um, but, but the question really hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, whoa, 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 what do you mean, am I arrogant? I've never thought of myself as arrogant. Uh, what, is he, what do you mean by this? You know, I really just wanted my friends to understand the why behind what, what, what I was going through. And over the next few weeks, I began to realize it was true. Turns out I, uh, I am arrogant. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to control that message. I, wanted to, I want my friends to understand why I was doing these things so that they would, uh, they would perceive me the way I wanted them to. So what it came down to is I didn't want them to know the Ben that was insufficient. Uh, I didn't want them to know the Ben that needed their approval, that wanted them to uh, like me, wanted them to uh, see me in a good light. And then the realization that came out of that is I, I had no idea I was arrogant. I'm like, that is a huge blind spot. And those of you who know me are like, that must have been a funny time because it's obvious to everyone else. Um, <laughs> and so don't, you don't need to tell me. I know. Maybe hug Dana. Uh, but that's, that is what it is. Um, but so at that time, I realized that was such a big blind spot so I, I prayed a prayer that changed the course of my faith. Uh, and the prayer was, God, show me my sin. I don't, I don't really recommend doing that. Uh, <laughs> that was a rough prayer. Uh, worst, worst prayer ever. Uh, mostly because he answered it. So over the next few years, it was really uh, layer upon layer about exposing my motivations and how I, how I approach people and... Uh, and realizing how selfish I was, uh, that my motivations were poor. Uh, like I said, I am arrogant. That was a revelation. And uh, yeah, but, but through that, he began to teach me my need for Christ. And so I, I, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't take that back for the world. But, but as it turns out, this is the, the, the flip here. Is it turns out I am sufficient, or I am insufficient. Um, and so under, under, left to my own devices, I'm under a lot of burden. I'm under a lot of burden to manage other people, to manage their reactions to me. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm under burden to prove my worth to my family, to my uh, kids, to you all. I have to step out and make sure that you think I'm worth something. That is, that is burdensome. Um, additionally, I'm under burden when that worth that I feel is there is under threat. So if somebody, you know, cuts me off in traffic or, you know, doesn't look like you have affected my worth and it's meaningful. Um, <clears throat> but so that's the, the catch-22 here for me is that as I've grown in my knowledge of my sin, like this big, heavy, uh, hard, difficult thing, um, I've grown in my knowledge of my need for Christ and through that has brought a ton of freedom. And so that's, that's, that's the part that makes no sense. That's the part that makes me seem, uh, or makes the verses we're talking about foolishness and that we don't make sense or we shouldn't make sense of the world. Like this, this is it, I think. Um, <clears throat> and so to, to come back to the story with my dad, it's, it's, it's to bring it full circle, this freedom, born of this insufficiency, coming into knowing my sin and knowing my need for Christ, it gave me freedom from my dad being able to uh, you know, have that kind of control over me. And so as this began to take root, I really didn't need my dad's approval anymore. Um, I remember, <laughs> remember a distinct moment. He, uh, he had asked me to pray for a meal because uh, I was the spiritual one in the family. Uh, and so, <clears throat> yeah, if you know me, that's hysterical. But uh, yeah, it was like Thanksgiving or something important. Uh, so after praying, my dad looks at me, he's like, you pray just like you talk. And... Uh, he said that with his, uh, a bit of his uh, chronic sarcasm and just a pinch of disappointment. But in my freedom at the time, I remember this vividly. So I was looking, at, <laughs> looking back at my dad, and I just all I had was a heartfelt thank you. And he was so, he's like, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, but beyond that, the freedom that this brought is I was able to see my dad in a whole new light. And so... All of a sudden, he wasn't this uh, source of burden in my life. He was, he was a man who had put himself, he had, he, had, uh, he had gone through actual physical and verbal abuse with his dad. Uh, he told me at one point that the, uh, his dad used to like, hit him with a fork to draw blood on his hands if he did something wrong at the dinner table type thing. So I'm picturing like putting an elbow up there and like you get a fork in your hand. It's crazy. Um, he put himself through college and grad school, this was the first in his family, um, and he, uh, he raised my brothers and I. Uh, and, we, I mean, we joke now that, you know, he raised us great, it's just, you know, with some mild verbal and emotional abuse. And if you know us, this it's all sarcasm, <laughs> nothing serious, first world problems for sure. Uh, but but that's, that's where we're at, and today I love my dad, uh, and we often joke about this, and one of, the, one of our common refrains is that we, uh, the fact that my family is as close as they are is direct evidence that there is a loving God. <laughs> so it's good times. And so this, this is an example of the freedom and the restoration that, that going through this process has brought me. And so I wanted to go back to verse 19 here. So it says again, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So with this in mind, uh, I'd just like to take you through how I have kind of stepped through Corinthians as we've gone it through it through uh, through this series. And so, the first uh, uh, starting in the beginning, I'm saying the church we we are prone to division. And the verse there, uh, chapter one, verse ten, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another 
in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. And that, and that just paints a picture that I don't see as often attainable. Can you imagine if we all agreed on everything? It would be pretty, I almost said boring. I'm not sure it was boring. Maybe beautiful, maybe, maybe a positive word. Um, but, it, but it's just this totally different twist than what we have. So moving forward, church, I, we think we know more than we actually do. Um, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. And the, this verse and verses like it caused me to question every opinion I ever form. Uh, I mean, if I have a thought and I say this is something that I want to stand on, immediately like, well, maybe someone else has a different thought. I want to be open to that and at least hear what they have to say. Uh, next is church. We remain proud of ourselves with sin in our midst. <clears throat> Chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? And to me, this is speaking about the priorities. Like, we would go put on a face or put on an appearance for our church service, um, or are our priorities circling around our, our brothers and sisters in, in need and in, in struggle? Uh, next is, uh, church, we are prone to stick up for ourselves first. Chapter 6, verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have already been completely defeated. And the next two sections just floor me every time I read them. But why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Like, to make that choice, that you have been wronged and you choose that for the sake of unity uh, in the church, it's mind-blowing. Uh, it's a cosmic uh, thank you. May I have another? That's <laughs> hard. Um, but church, uh, we are prone to seek our own identity outside of our identity in Christ. So chapter 7, verse 8. Now to the widows and the widowers I say, <clears throat> it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, this is not a glowing endorsement of this beautiful thing called marriage, right? It's a, what I, I look at this is even marriage, uh, something that we hold very highly in the church, is something that is a tool, a means to point and orient your lives towards Christ. So church, we are prone to serve ourselves before thinking of others. And this gets into some of the stuff Ryan was talking about last week, but chapter 8, verse 4. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. And so, yeah, we, we may know something. As Ryan just described, it's, it's, that's not matters. That's not what we have to prove. Um, so what are our priorities? So I want to jump back into or, or keep stepping through this into, into chapter 9. I'll start with 9, verse 20. Um, so after Paul says, I am free, uh, <clears throat> and but I make myself a slave. He goes in to describe you know, who he's making a slave to, and like Ryan says, everybody. But to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself I am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I might save some. So all of that's been 
pretty heavy. If you know me, I'm a relatively intense guy, so I'm down with it. But, um, but I look at all this stuff, and I look at what we are prone to, and I, and I uh, look at making ourselves a slave and giving up our rights, and why is he doing this? And it says to win as many as possible. And this, uh, when I was listening to it last fall, what struck me is that Paul is entirely focused on a singular goal. Everything else is subservient to that, that singular goal. His whole life is oriented around it. His rights, his values, his relationships, all those things there are pointed to, to point to Christ and to help people come to know him. And so, and I'll be honest, when, when I was going through this last fall, the, the first thing that came to mind is the... Uh, the Supreme Court case about the Christian baker exercising his right to not bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. And this is like, this is where I get on the struggle bus. <clears throat> it's just a question I can't escape. So if my, if my primary goal was to win that couple for Christ, would I exercise my religious freedom? Or would I lay that right down so that this couple might see Christians in a more positive light? That's how, like, I've, I've sat with that for about eight months. <laughs> um, it's a hard one. And so that immediately leads me to ask the next question. So, like, what is my primary goal in my life? You know, is it to uh, move next week? I mean, that's what it feels like. Um, but, it, like, what is my primary goal? What is most important to me? Um, and so I ask you, what, think about what is most important to you? Um, and, and give you a little bit of color here, but if you're, if you're not sure what, what, what's most important, it's kind of a nebulous question. A good indicator is where do you spend your time, your energy, and your focus? And so like me, do you go the extra mile to make sure people perceive you in a way uh, that you want them to? Um, do you get mad at the injustice of another driver doing something that you deem incorrect? Uh, you know, or, or in political conversations, um, you know, or in conversations about our, our American rights or rights as Americans, do you ensure that you work to ensure that your point is heard? Or do you work to listen and understand what the other's point is? Um, or do you, uh, I mean, just take, take a moment and think about that. It's, it's like, what are, what are we most passionate about? And if, if, if our goal is a singular goal of winning people for Christ, it just it changes the mindset, everything. <clears throat> And so when you think about what you're most passionate about, you've got to hear Paul's question immediately following that. Is, are you willing to give that up, that singular thing it is, give that up to win someone for Christ? That's, that's not easy. Um, so here, here's a bit of my nerdiness. Um, this is my one neurobiology session. Um, but so a question for you. Feel free to shout it if you would like. But uh, do you often give up your rights? Next. Yeah, he said yes. And Bale, no. I was hoping for a no. And the reason being is that, like, when you're new to something, you're not supposed to be good at it, right? And so, um, the, the, I don't know, the way I think about this is that this, this may not be some super spiritual thing where you look at somebody who you lift up in your mind as, as somebody who's like, man, they are so spiritual. They are so hashtag blessed. They are so, you know, there's, there's something that I can't attain there. Um, and I just think that's totally false. Uh, and I want to say that they, they've probably just done it longer than you. Uh, you know, they've done it longer than me. 
And so uh, this is an area of grace that I would like to share with you, uh, is that if you haven't ever done something or you don't do it regularly, you're supposed to suck at it. <laughs> and so give yourself that grace. And, and how do you get better at something? You try, uh, you practice, and you do that again. And so you just keep going at it. Um, but all that aside, I have to ask, uh, the next question I ask myself is, okay, this is all crazy and hard. Is it worth it? I mean, is, is it worth giving up how we think and giving up how, how we want to uh, live our lives, giving up the things that we cherish so that someone else may know Christ? Um, <clears throat> so all I can say is that here's how it's gone for me. Um, the Lord is walking me through a process of first revealing my own sin. Uh, through that, I very much know that I need a Savior. <clears throat> and so... With that, this continues to re reveal these areas in, of burden in my life. And, and because I accept Christ's sufficiency in my life, those, as those burdens are discovered, they're lifted uh, over time. Um, and that the freedom that has come from this has produced just a level of peace that I would have never expected for myself you know, 10 years ago. So I'll tell you what, though, too, that... that the freedom and the peace that comes out of this, it's addicting. So once you get started, there's your, there's your habit loop. You start coming back to that, like, oh, that was good, I'll do it again. And then you come back to it again. And so I, I encourage all of you to go for it. Um, and so for me, is it worth giving up my rights so that someone else may have a chance to see why Christ is my king, uh, to experience a level of freedom that, that isn't available elsewhere and real peace? And you know, my, my answer is yes. 100%. Um, so I'd like to go back to the text here. So chapter 9, verse 23. Um, it says, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. 